Good morning. All right. As you can see, uh, Pastor Dan is not with us today. Um, he is down in Maryland. Uh, many of you know he, uh, his sister Erin has uh, struggled through some serious health concerns, and he is down there with her right now. And so um, he called me uh, later in the week and asked if I could step in. So in bullpen fashion, here we are. But uh, it's my honor to be able to help Dan out, first and foremost, and it's my honor to be able to share some of the word with you. One thing I did want to start off uh, today with is, yes, uh, Dan and I have spoken a couple of times during the week, and uh, last night he sent me a note that he wanted me to uh, express to the Trinity family. So if you'll bear with me for a moment. Dear Trinity family, there are two very clear things that the Lord has been teaching me. The first is that the sickness of sin and its effects are everywhere in this world. The second thing that he has been showing me far outweighs the first, and that is the greatest hope lies in the future God has for us all beyond this sin-sick world. It is a future of joy and gladness where sadness and sickness are not even a memory. As I have previously shared, my sister has bravely battled brain cancer for almost seven years. Recently, Erin's physical health has declined, but her spiritual health remains strong because of her steadfast love and trust in Jesus. Tara and I are not with you this morning because we are in Maryland helping to get things ready for my sister to come home from the hospital and receive hospice care. Though we could not be there to worship together with you all, we want you to know that it is important to us to share this part of our lives with you. As you can imagine, this has been an extremely difficult time, but our hope remains in the Lord, our shepherd. Please continue to pray for one comfort and peace for our whole family as Aaron's physical health declines and her eternal soul approaches glory and the home that Jesus is preparing for her. Two, for God's spirit to be near Aaron in these days and that he would regularly remind her of his love for her. And three, wisdom and strength for each member of our family to walk through these days with a steadfast faith and trust in the Lord. I am so thankful for our faith community to share this difficult news with and to know that we are being lifted up before the Lord in prayer. May God richly bless your time of worship together. He truly deserves all the glory and honor and praise. That must have been heart-wrenching. That's, that's very, very difficult. Um, Excuse me. Uh, let's, honor, let's honor Dan and Tara and uh, just have a moment of prayer over the family and Aaron. Heavenly Father, we come before you with our hands open, presenting all that we have to you. We are very grateful that you hear our prayers. Father, right now we turn our focus away from our immediate concerns 
and want to put our focus on the Van Horn family, and in particular Erin, as she struggles through these, uh, these days of sickness and illness, and what appears to be uh, her coming closer to knowing the glory that you have for her. We thank you for the strength that you have given her for these uh, several years, Lord, and we are so grateful for those who have served her, cared for her, and continue to care for her. We lift up the Van Horn family and all surrounding her during this time. And Father, we know that the best is yet to come, even in the sadness of the present moment. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. This may be a little bit difficult to get through today, a little bit harder than, uh, than normal, but uh, let's see. Dan did want to continue on in the book of Mark, uh, chapter 1. He wanted to continue on in uh, verses 14 through 20, and he had sent me some notes a little bit earlier in the week to guide some thoughts, but uh, let's uh, go to our scripture, Mark chapter 1 verses 14 through 20. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat and mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Praise be the Lord of his word. The point that Dan wanted uh, to emphasize today is, again, Jesus inviting us to follow him as king and authority. And I think you'll see that as we work through uh, these several verses and how do we respond to that. The first, uh, verse 14 now John was, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. One of the points to note here is that Jesus is returning to Galilee. This is the start of his Galilean ministry. He has been away in Judea preaching from the time that he was baptized and the Holy Spirit came upon him to this time is a little bit more than, than a year or so. He immediately, after uh, the baptism, he had left and went back to Judea in that area and preached there while John was continuing to preach in, uh, in the area of Galilee along the Jordan River. That was the time when Jesus was out in the wilderness test, being tested by Satan. And between that time and his coming back was about a year, uh, to, be, to be clear on that. But in the meantime, Herod 
and the, and the king at the time took John and arrested John, removed him from his preaching ministry. And the point here as Jesus returns is the silencing of one minister raised another to the area where it was needed, which was very, very significant. And in the meantime, that interim period had given Jesus that much more time to preach the word and to emphasize the kingdom that was coming. Verse 15, and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. This is a prophecy from the Old Testament, if you're well aware of the idea that a Messiah was to come and to restore the kingdom of God. What is really significant here is that this was given to many of the Jews who were there and they understood that. However, that area was still dominated by the Roman Empire. It was controlled by Romans and many of those individuals who came to hear the word of God, who came to understand this idea of Jesus being a savior and the Messiah, this would not have been familiar to them, okay? The idea that time was fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand, that might have not been really familiar because they had not been steeped in that teaching the same way that many of the Jews had. So, John keeps, or excuse me, G, excuse me, Jesus keeps that message uh, a bit simple. If you refer to the book of Isaiah 55, 7, um, the message of the salvation was a little bit clearer, made a little bit simpler. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, he will abundantly pardon. There is the gospel message that's being communicated at that point in time, reinforcing that to the Jews and informing or instructing or giving a little bit more knowledge to those in the Roman Empire at the time. One of the other things that is not necessarily brought out here, but um, I strongly believe in, in some of the research, that it also helped the Jews reorient a little bit of their perception of the Messiah. Many of them felt that when the Messiah came, not only would he look a little bit more grand and glorious than may perhaps Christ, but that he would be this political leader that he would be this person who was ready to turn everything upside down, remove the Romans, um, their, their chokehold around the neck of those in that area of the Jews, and that not only would he remove them, but he would free them to prosper in a manner that they have to that point been held under because of Roman occupation. So not only did they think he was going to be a political leader, a very prominent political leader, but they also anticipated that there would be a little bit of 
some militarism involved in as well that, okay, he's going to get back at these Romans as well. When the Messiah comes, he's going to get back at these Romans for how they've kept us down and kept us uh, under, under subjection for all this time. And so this point is a shift also and leads to a shift in those Jews who thought of the Messiah and how they were, were to think of the Messiah. This was not who many anticipated he would be or how he would behave, so to speak. This is a change. Verse 16. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Very interesting here point to note is that Christ is going out to establish the fact that I am about to set up my kingdom here on earth. These are the formative stages here. I need individuals to help me do that. If we were to think about, I don't want to do this, but if we were to think about government, which uh, we don't want, want to that much, but if if you know a little bit about government, many of those who rise to these highest levels in government are people of a very similar background, similar education, similar, uh, similar school, similar education, similar um, paths during, through business or whatever. Very, very similar people, not the commonplace people that is the masses of any given uh, country like ours. Jesus chose to move to advance his kingdom, not with the major instruments, the high-profile people of the day. He chose to gain the, the commonplace, the commonplace, the, the hoi polloi, so to speak. And he, he did not look for those who were the best looking or the most educated or the most, uh, most sophisticated. He looked for the people who you would see on the street every day, the commonplace people. And he looked for people who were not idle. He chose fishermen. He chose fishermen, and in that area, the Sea of Galilee, near the Mediterranean Sea, obviously the primary food of the area would have been fish. And to work uh, the job as a fisherman is as taxing a job as there would be in that time. And these people could not have made a living or existed by being idle. But at the same time, these were the people Jesus chose to tap, to work with him, to be the team as he goes forward into the culture to try to expand his message. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Also symbolic of the ministry and in which uh, our discipleship exists is this idea of, of fishing. If you think about uh, 
If you think about fishing and the way that they did it and the way that they still do it in many other ways, when you're talking sea fishing, they're taking a net and they're casting it out and they're looking to see what comes into the net. Some days are good, some days not so good, but it's a continual process by which they execute their function or their... Um, their work or their vocation each day. And that is the way that gives us an example as to how we are to move out into the world. I never fished this way. I, I come from uh, way upstate New York and we have streams and uh, little rivers and things like that. And fishing similar, like you go out with a pole, you cast out your line. Sometimes you get something, sometimes you don't but you keep casting and you keep casting until you finally say, well, I've had enough of this for one day. So, uh, but uh, that is, the, but again, this, this idea of sending out a net or a line or a continual, a constant uh, reapplication of what you are doing to try to win the people out there. We all know each and every one of us could probably point to a person or persons that we have put out the word to before, and it comes back void. Or, well, it never comes back void. It does not come back in a way that maybe we wanted to see, but it doesn't mean that it's not taking root. It doesn't mean that one day that they are going to be one of the fish in the net. So I think that that is something that's extremely instructive of him. And one other thing that was very, very interesting that I found in at least doing some of the research here is that if you recall throughout the Gospels, many people refer to Jesus, they refer to him as rabbi, okay? And one of the unique um, reversals of how things operate is that in those days, those who wanted to be aligned or to work or to be educated with a rabbi, they went to the rabbi, okay? The rabbi did not go out to them, okay? It was a come to me if you want to know knowledge, if you want to gain understanding, if you want to understand what God has in store for great people. People came to the rabbi, Jesus went out a total 180 from how people were expecting things to happen or how they were used to things happening. Just a, another tremendous, tremendous um, idea or illustration of how significant and how different Jesus being the Messiah chose to operate. Verse 18, and immediately they left their nets and followed him. Why? What motivated them? Uh, you know, and you're, you're thinking, they are fishermen. They've got more than, um, more, more on their plate than they can say grace over. They've got a full, they've got a full plate of things to do. Their work from sunup to sundown is hard work. They were also aware of what they had heard in different areas that 
while the word is taking root, there is hostility toward those who were looking at this idea of Jesus being a Messiah and there being another kingdom and that there being a savior and a salvation. That preaching ran afoul of many of the preaching of the Pharisees of the day. So what would make them, what would make them move on? I refer to Isaiah 11, 2 and 3. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And I have to believe that they were aware and they sensed that spirit upon Jesus. They were also aware of the power that Jesus had, as I noted earlier that between the time that Jesus was baptized and went out into the wilderness and the time that this Galilean ministry begins, there's a period of, of at least a year or over a year. So they have heard of many of the things that Jesus has done. Mark does not deal with those in this particular book, but the other gospels do. You would, they were aware that Jesus had changed water into wine. They were aware of what Jesus may have said to his conversation with Nicodemus. They were aware of Jesus uh, speaking to the Samaritan woman and forgiving of her sins. So there was, aware, there was an awareness here and the idea that they had to have been touched by the Holy Spirit and the power of God and that spirit came upon them. That has to be the reason why they would have immediately dropped their nets and moved on and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Other point here is not only were these people fishermen, they were prosperous fishermen. If they had servants, they had to have been doing a pretty good business on their own. So they were probably fairly, uh, while they weren't maybe the most sophisticated people, they were probably fairly well off economically. So they gave up everything. Something that is very telling, I think. And they did it immediately. There wasn't any questioning. There wasn't any, well, maybe do I want to do this? Maybe I don't want to do this. Um, you have in verse 18, and immediately they left their nets. You have verse 20, and immediately left their nets. These first, the first four fishermen who came. If you were to go back a little bit earlier into uh, the book of Mark, uh, in the same, same, uh, same chapter, verses, uh, I believe, um, around 7 and 8, it talks immediately that when Jesus was baptized, immediately the 
the Spirit comes upon him. Not only did the Spirit come upon him, and immediately after that, he immediately went into the wilderness, into temptation. And then there is the immediacy of these respective fishermen dropping everything that they knew and everything that they did and following him. The whole point around that being a level of urgency, a level of recognition or a sense that this is significant, this has got to happen, there is no hemming and hawing about doing this. Let me get to this right now. The whole passage, as Dan wanted me to point out here, it talks to Jesus inviting him to be aware of his calling as king and his authority and our response. When we talk about authority today, I know that uh, too often, you know, we've, got all, we've all got our own impressions. How do we respond to authority? In some instances, it's very, very positive, very favorable. In other instances, maybe not as much. And responding to authority is something that, as I look around, at least in the world, the way I see it right now, responding to authority seems to be a lot, lot more uh, relative anymore. People choose what they're going to follow. They choose what they're not going to follow. And everybody is far more concerned with that which pleases themselves and what I can get on, out of this or why I think I should have to follow this. And that is, that is particularly so within this book, obviously. How do you respond to authority, I would ask? We already know that Jesus is our Savior. His, what he's done on the cross has prepared us for an eternal kingdom a life eternally. So he's our savior. Is he our authority? I ask you. Personally, I'm, I don't know about you personally. Okay, some days yes. Some days maybe not as much. Um, I, I'd like to think that I am very, very aligned and very consistent. And at the same time, I would have to admit that there are probably things that do not immediately line up with perhaps Jesus' level of authority in my life. I can't point to one right now, but, uh, <laughs> but if that were the truth, I would, I would say that if, we were to, if I was to really be honest and examine everything in my life. And it's not something that... Uh, that I would necessarily be proud of, obviously. It's something that I just need to be aware of, that there are things that I need to tend to. And a lot of that is, is required to keep my focus on his word. His authority is everything, okay? And quite honestly, I should be living that way. That is 
that is my responsibility. That is what I need to be doing. It's what I want to be doing. And I need to be examining myself continually. Like, am I living up to that? His authority's already been validated. If you go to verses 7 and 8, it's already validated by John. John who indicates that what Jesus is this coming Messiah. He is one greater than himself. One whose sandals, whose, the strap of his sandals, he's not fit to even uh, clasp. And later, God has validated Jesus. He's validated him in the baptism when immediately the heavens open up, the spirit descends on him, and God says, this is my son, my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. His authority is valid, has been totally validated. We have no reason or, or rationale for questioning that. As believers, it is upon us to be continually examining ourselves and asking how can we align our lives with that authority. Part of that aligning ourselves with that authority is an alignment, an alignment of our views. It's an alignment of our in many cases, our interests, our reactions, and the like. We're in the world, but that is not to be our priority. In following Jesus, our priority has to be a sense of urgency. We don't know how much time is appointed to each and every one of us or our lives. We see it here with the response of the fishermen here that they immediately dropped what they were doing and stepped out in following Christ. The immediacy, that picture of immediacy, is what needs to characterize our lives. We do tend to put off a whole lot of things because there's always going to be time, or I don't have to do this right now, or, you know, it's just not convenient to get after this right now, or to do that which I know I should be doing. I think it's, uh, it's incumbent on us to really examine ourselves. It's just a constant re-examination, as this book is not only is it a window out onto the world, but it is a mirror that which we are to use to be looking at ourselves, to be saying, how do I follow? There's urgency. There's sacrifice. Sacrifice is certainly not something that is recognized as much anymore in this world, in this high-tech time. I mean, I mean, even things like uh, I was thinking of just in just some preparation. To do preparation, you know, it used to, it would have required, okay, let me read the passage in the Bible. Let me go to a church to get a, or to, to their library or 
maybe some cases, if you're really lucky, maybe in some, a public library where there might be a commentary. Let me get a book. Let me go and check out the book. Let me start researching, things like that. Now, <laughs> let me just pick this up, you know, and to research. There is, there is convenience that is, is off the charts. And, and I'm not saying it's bad. It's not. But this idea that you have to sacrifice, that you have to give up anything. I mean, I, I was thinking about things like, who would have ever thought, now I'm this old, but who would have ever thought that we'd have bottled water? <laughs> water, used to, water just came out of the tap, you know? Now it's bottled, now we can do it, and, and there's flavors, and there's this, that, and the other thing. Um, I don't have to watch anything on television I don't want to watch. I don't have to read anything I don't want to read. I can set whatever programming or radio type of stations or whatever I want. I can set those to my own specific playlist so I don't have to hear a lot of other things. I don't even have to make my own food. You know, I call someone to bring me, I want this, that, and the other thing, and they will bring it. Uh, it the level of convenience is something that flies right into the face of self-sacrifice. And there's, there's nothing wrong with convenience, necessarily. We've all got a million things to do. We've got very, very full lives. No question about that. And at the same time, if we are going to be a follower of Jesus, we are going to have to acknowledge that there are things that we are going to have to give up. The things that are in the world we are to hold loosely. A lot of great things out there. You're, you're raising families, you're handling you know, different issues within your family. Those are all things that are our priorities and they have to be handled. And at the same time, we have to recognize where our priorities lie. If we are believers, if we are maturing believers, which I hope we all are and continuing to mature, that we have to prioritize God's word working in our lives. Very easy, some of our choices are very, very easy to make. And it's, and it's not those that are really the struggle. The struggle is the choice between that's good and that's better, okay? Good, bad, those are pretty easy. I don't think that most of us have a lot of, a lot of problems with giving up certain things. Or, oh, I've got to eat better. Okay, yeah, I can't eat, I can't eat uh, donuts every day. Okay, if I want to maintain my health. Pretty easy, pretty easy choice to make. But continually having a balanced meal, you know, each day, that's a lot more work. That's a little bit more sacrifice to our daily routine. And I think that as we walk with God, I think that those are the levels that as we mature, we're going to see more, we're going to fall into more of those struggles. Not the good bad, the good better, the better best. And that's what we need to be striving for. Obviously, our example is Christ. 
we all know that Christ was a follower. He is the ultimate example of that which we are to do. If we go to John 14, 31, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Jesus is very clear on his priorities, which is doing what God the Father has commanded him. I go back to this fact that, yes, we have a lot on our plate. We, and you'd say, oh, I got all these priorities. I had heard it said, uh, I've heard it said a lot of times, uh, if you got 10 priorities, you don't have any priorities, really. And it doesn't mean you don't have 10 important things, but it is essential that what you prioritize is probably down to two or three Okay, everything cannot get equal weight. That is just the way it is. You don't, have this, you don't have equal time. You don't have equal other resources to address everything as it is. So again, if you have 10 priorities, you probably don't have. We have to prioritize where Christ is in our lives. We have an eternal kingdom that is awaiting us. It is awaiting us as we grow and mature. I think the point here and the example set by the fishermen that those men who were commonplace but busy chose to prioritize following Jesus, chose to work with him, chose to learn more about establishing this kingdom on earth the authority that Jesus has to preach, to heal, to command, and to forgive. That's what these gentlemen were stepping into. And we are tremendously grateful that they have. I think that as we go forward, you know, throughout continuing on through this book, we're going to get that much more immersed in what, um, obviously in what Jesus did. And in the book of Mark, the book of Mark does not deal with so much about what Jesus said. He deals with what Jesus did. And I think that that's something that we want to remind ourselves of because some, sometimes we can get very, very caught up in, okay, this was said, that was said, this was said. You know, yes, we get this knowledge, but we have to take that and we have to put it into actual practice as we move forward. If we are to be maturing as believers, if we are to be advancing as, as uh, excuse me, as believers growing, urging ourselves on toward receiving that eternal kingdom that awaits us. Those are the points that I believe Pastor Dan wanted us to uh, consider at least today. And it's been uh, my privilege to do that. And at this point, um, one thing I would want to refer to is just as we close here, uh, one thing that Pastor Dan did refer to as it relates to 
his sister, if you do have time during the day to refer to Isaiah chapter 35. That is a section of scripture that Pastor Dan uses to read to his sister and to pray with, pray over her with that to provide some comfort during this time. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as always, we are grateful for that which you have put before us. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the knowledge we've gained. But further than that, Lord, we pray that it would provide us with wisdom to move forward in our lives. Help us to grow. Help us to submit to your authority. Help us to understand the urgency and the immediacy of the need to be about your business. Help us to examine our lives to make serving you the priority that has been exemplified not only by Jesus, but by his disciples. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.